Welcome to the Graceful Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Debick, the founder of Life Coaching with Lauren, a female empowerment coach, an entrepreneur, empath, and a lover of the eco-friendly lifestyle. My mission is to help women take control of their lives by teaching them how to increase their confidence in an authentic and genuine way so they can achieve both personal and professional goals. Each week on the Graceful Confidence Podcast, I will share ways to increase your confidence, tips on how to integrate grace into your life, as well as stories and advice from other experts on how, as women, we can better empower ourselves and those around us. I will show you exactly how to use the power of confidence and grace to create an empowering and invigorating life that you are excited about waking up to every single day. Now, let's dive in. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Graceful Confidence Podcast. I am so excited because today I'm going to be talking with someone on how to take imperfect action inside your health journey to help you gain more confidence. Today, I am talking with Dana Black, who has her Bachelor's of Science in Sports and Health Sciences. She is certified holistic nutritionist and certified by the Nutritional Coaching Institute as both a level one and level two nutrition coach, as well as a mindset and hormone specialist. Dana is the founder and CEO of Constantly Varied Nutrition and the Balanced Life Method. She supports ambitious working professional parents to help them create sustainable health and weight loss by harnessing their stress and habits and balance their lives without spending more time inside their already crazy schedules or tracking every ounce of food they're eating. Dana, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I am excited and just so humbled by being able to share with you guys today. My podcast is all about teaching women ways that they can increase their confidence in a healthy, kind, and graceful way. And I think you are doing this every single day. I watch your Facebook lives. I see what you're doing on social media and it's just fantastic. So to get us started, can you talk to me a little bit about what it is that you do with your clients? Yeah. So, um, I have been working with clients, um, one-on-one for the last almost six full years. Um, in both fitness and nutrition, uh, but I do specialize in nutrition and lifestyle habits specifically. And so when I am working with clients, I am finding out where they're at and meeting them where they are because so many people coming to me are confused and frustrated and they don't know how to live a healthy lifestyle that fits into their lifestyle because all they've ever known and all they've ever learned is diet culture rhetoric. Can you explain what diet culture rhetoric is? Yeah, so we all know diet culture and that's eat less, weigh less, that's carbs are bad, that you've got to work out more to, you know, make up for that pizza that you enjoyed last night, or, you know, that you can't even have chips in your house because if you have one chip, you're going to eat them all. And it's the things that diets have taught us in that the only way to achieve our goals and to look the way we want to look and to be healthy, right? And healthy meaning skinny is to hate life, 
to be hungry all the time, to constantly not enjoy the way that you're able to experience social situations or holidays or birthdays or a date night for God's sakes and not enjoy getting up in the morning and getting dressed and dreading being able to find something that you can put on that's like, when was the last time you were able to walk straight to your closet and put on the first thing that sounded cute and just feel amazing in it? And like flick your hair back and be like, let's do this. Let's crush life. <laughs> and that that's rhetoric is just that rhetoric is anything that kind of gets beaten into us over time. And, and that's the diet mentality. That's the, the, the roller coaster, the Ferris wheel, the, the hamster wheel that so many people, women especially have been stuck on for God only knows how long. And, and why do you think that is? There is a chain of events that goes with that. Um, and it starts with the miss, I'll use the term misinformed um, research that came out about 50 years ago that demonized saturated fat uh, and as being the culprit of morbidity and all things um, heart disease and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, that was basically the birth of diet culture as well. And when we took that one thing and made it the be all end all of like what could create health or what could take health away, that's when, when diets became a thing. Like we've got to be low saturated fat. We've got to be low fat, low fat, low fat. And as soon as that started happening, we started to see people's health continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And when you look at the, the research and the timeline of it, when that research came out was also when our society started spiking in terms of health actually decreasing weight actually increasing and us just getting worse, but then more and more and more and more diets coming out and diet. And then like when you took away fat, then you had, then people started getting even less healthy. And then you started to demonize carbs or you demonize sugar and yada, yada. And so it, it really started like 50 years ago and it's only been getting worse since then. And it's sad because no, no one knows where to turn now because there's no good. Inf I mean, there's great information out there. It's just hard to find. You're, you're absolutely right. It seems like every week there's conflicting information. Like eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Coffee's good for you. Coffee's bad for you. The Mediterranean diet is it. Uh, this diet is it. So I, I see it happening and I can see how it can be so confusing and so frustrating for someone who wants to take control of their, their health and especially for females. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with the correlation that especially females have with equating their health to their confidence and how they feel on a daily basis? 
And I guess this is really dependent on how old you are now and when you grew up. Um, I think for the two of us, we got inundated with like Kate Moss as being the pinnacle of health. Mm-hmm. And she was super anorexic and unhealthy. And so because our media perpetuated those things and put them on a pedestal, right? Like we grew up when supermodels were a thing. And so if you didn't look like a supermodel, you weren't enough. Like you didn't look good enough. You weren't beautiful enough. And so most women that are our age, we stopped listening to our bodies and we started chasing that aesthetic or that pant size or or anything. And so we, we lost sight of what hunger is and we lost sight of what fatigue means. And we lost sight of, you know, anything that didn't have everything to do with what size you were. You know, now we live in the age of all sizes are wonderful and beautiful and, um, you know, all things body love, which is amazing. But at the same time, I think that it sends a skewed message that we don't need to be concerned about health because it doesn't matter what size we are in general. And so I don't think total transparency, and I may get flamed for this, but I don't think either point of view is where we should be, right? Because then we're looking, you can look at it as being very political, and it has now become like our Kate Mosses are our leftists or our rightists, whichever way you choose to go, and our our super body love people, and that like all sizes are beautiful, are the other side of the aisle and where we actually need to come to is a place of thriving for health's sake because i've seen extremely thin people be very healthy and i've seen obese people be healthy but i've seen very very sick people on either side of the spectrum as well and i think it warrants education coming back to our female population that we need to be going back to learning how to thrive in that no we don't need to walk around showing all of our bones. We don't need to walk around having a, a, a completely ripped, chiseled midsection. But we also don't need to be compromising our health because the, both of those ways compromise our health in completely different ways than being overweight can compromise our health because both can compromise our health. And so it comes back to, we need to teach women not only how to love themselves and how to be confident regardless, but that it doesn't have to go to those extremes either. And that comes back to teaching people how to actually take care of their bodies. I love myself so I'm going to nourish myself. I love myself and I want a piece of pizza 
So I'm going to allow myself to enjoy a piece of pizza and I'm not going to overexercise tomorrow to make up for it because I didn't do anything wrong. I just wanted a piece of pizza. I come from a disordered eating background, which is important for your listeners to know. From as early as I can remember, I snuck food and would hide and eat it. And I still don't know why to this day that I did that. And even through a lot, a lot, a lot of self-reflection over the last few years, I have no idea where I didn't value myself enough or where I was being shown that my value wasn't there to, to need that outlet, right? And that may have not even been the reason for that outlet. I'm still trying to get there. Mm-hmm. But for as long as I can remember, that was what I did. And so I always struggled with my weight as a, as a kid. And of course that was when Kate Moss was popular and that was when all of these things were popular. And so when I got into high school, I was able to like out active, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, my poor eating habits. And I was able to hide the fact that I would binge in certain instances because of the fact that I was so active But at the same time, I was already starting to have overactive tendencies to balance. And when I went away to college, that went away, but the food issues didn't. Hmm. And so then my weight got out of control. And then that was when all the dieting started. And it was dieting and dieting and dieting and falling off and getting back on and falling off and getting back on for years and until I hit my breaking point, which was just after I had my daughter, uh, my first daughter. And I basically used my entire pregnancy as an easy excuse for like one, you know, 37 and a half week long binge. Things kind of got even more out of hand after that because um, I... Like I woke up one day in my postpartum stupor and I looked at myself and I was beyond disgusted at what I finally saw in the mirror. Cause I hadn't actually looked at myself for a really long time, like a really long time. I mean, I saw myself in the mirror cause I got ready every day right? or whatever semblance that would have looked like, but I didn't really look because I wasn't allowed to anymore because I never liked what I saw. And so I just stopped looking. And then one day you're like, Oh Hmm. Okay. We should probably do something about this. So what happened after that, that moment? Um, that was when the really fun restriction started. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was able to lose 80 pounds and I've kept it off since she was born. So we're looking at, yeah, 14 years and through a second pregnancy. And I'm very happy that I say now that I'm able to help people navigate losing weight a healthy way because I did not lose my weight a healthy way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my weight through a very restrictive series of some horrible, horrible diets. Um, I've done Weight Watchers multiple times. I've done right size smoothies, which most people have never even heard of. Um, I've done Slim Fast. I've done cutting all of my meals in half and eating, you know, And of course this was cutting meals in a half at like 1200 calories a day and still not even eating. And then when the diets weren't working, then I added in more exercise. 
And so it was very restrictive eating, very like demonizing food groups and all kinds of things for years, basically from 1998 until 2017. So 19 years in 2017 was when I finally hit rock bottom. At that point in time, I had been maintaining my weight loss, but I was far from healthy. What wasn't healthy or what component was missing at that rock bottom point? Mental health, confidence, self-esteem. At, at that point, it had be, become, I have to maintain all of these super restrictive and excessive exercise tendencies because if I don't, I will wake up tomorrow morning and be 208 pounds again. And I see a lot of women suffering from this too, in that it's, you finally get the weight off, but then it becomes one long perpetual cycle of fear that like, if you have one slice of cake at someone's birthday party, that you will legitimately wake up the next day and be right back where you started. And I can assure all of your listeners that that's physically impossible. And it took me a really long time to learn that and a lot, a lot, a lot of schooling um, to learn that. It is physiologically impossible. But when those stories start to perpetuate in your head, it's very, very difficult to stop that feedback loop. I basically under ate and over exercised myself into complete hormonal and adrenal shutdown. So that's one way to make yourself stop is your body just like literally hitting a brick wall and saying, well, if you're not going to stop on your own, I will force you to stop. You know, and I've seen other clients, you know, that ends up in, you know, hospital for recovery from eating disorders and things of that nature. And, you know, I 100% blame our media for all of this. And, and it gets passed down unknowingly from grandmother to mother to mother to daughter from, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all as a result of the media. And it, those things chip away at our confidence. They chip away at our self-esteem. They start to create inner dialogues that are very, very difficult to break. And I think getting back to your initial question, it's we have to start getting the right education out there for women that we can't be confident if we're treating our body like a trash can. And it, it has to start with every one of your listeners beginning today. And it start, everything starts with awareness. So as soon as you can become aware that those are your inner dialogues, you can start the journey one step at a time in trying to change those dialogues. And that's a great segue actually into the imperfect action part, because you're not going to wake up tomorrow and tell yourself a different story. Right. And so it becomes, okay, how can I be aware of that story I'm telling myself? And what, what do you recommend people do to create that awareness? Journaling is a great way. I think this podcast is going to be an amazing place for women to start because there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that sort of gets 
slapped in the face proverbially by like some of the things that they tell themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can't have that. Or um, I ate too much of that. Or I shouldn't have that. It's bad for me. The two words that I hate the most in, in, in the English language are good and bad. How come? Because there is no good or bad. There is only more optimal or less optimal. Because you can look at any given food, and I'm going to say this in full transparency, I ate an entire pizza last night. Um, it was a 12-inch pizza. It was wonderful. It had, like, every vegetable on the planet on it. And it was amazing. And I loved every second of it. <laughs> it asked me, depending on what point in my journey, I either would have said no, or I would have eaten the entire thing. And then I would have woken up today and done three workouts. Mm. Um, and the only thing I did today was walk on the beach and then sit in a car for six hours. <laughs> Zero, zero physical activity after eating an entire pizza. And, um, that's, that's awesome. And, and, you know, it took me a long time to get there, but it starts with every time you hear yourself talking about food in terms of good versus bad, stop yourself because legitimately a food is only bad if it's going to send you into anaphylaxis and you could die. Or like for someone who legitimately has an autoimmune condition or is celiac or something like that, who legitimately cannot have gluten, then yes, you can 100% say that food is bad for me only because you have a legitimate medical condition that makes that food not optimal for your body. Mm -hmm. okay? But even in terms of like something like celiac or IBD or IBS, like those are curable conditions. Right. Like you can absolutely up optimize gut health in order to be able to start eating those foods again. But when we get back to like the anaphylaxis thing, then that's a different story. Like you can't sure. just make somebody not deathly allergic to something. Listen to yourself when you talk. And, and that's another thing that we don't do. We don't really listen to ourselves when we talk. And so it's just in just creating that awareness. Like, how do I actually speak to myself? Do I speak to myself with love? Do I speak to myself with empowerment? Because if I don't speak to myself with empowerment, how can I gain confidence mm -hmm. in anything? And so it's, okay, I'm no longer saying that foods are good versus bad. I can say, how can this food optimize me? How can this food help me? Or does this food help me in this situation? Okay. Think about the last time you had a craving for something, okay? It's a very, very, very simple question. Why do I need this right now? Mm -hmm. Do I need this because my stomach is grumbling and I'm legitimately hungry and that's what sounds amazing to me right now in this moment? Or am I trying to sedate or am I trying to make up for something? Because oftentimes we go to those things that we have memories attached to or that there were purpose, there were like situations that revolved around that elicited a certain type of emotion. Mm. And when we start craving those foods, it's not the food we're craving. It's the, it's the warm, fuzzy blankie 
that that food gives you. If someone is in that situation where they're having a craving moment and okay, they've worked on awareness and they can recognize in that moment, you know what, it's not this chocolate cake that I want, but it's the memory that this chocolate cake brings. What is the best next step if they make that realization? First of all, I'm going to give you mad claps because you made that realization, which is awesome. And it's huge. It's so huge and so profound for people. So when you do finally have that aha moment and you're like, oh my God, I had no idea this whole time. I want you to like go and stare at yourself in the bathroom mirror and be like, whoa, that was a huge breakthrough. I just grew like so much and celebrate that in the moment. And then here's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to think about all of the other things that went on in that situation that were part of the memory because there were so many things, right? Think about, um, like Christmas and there's your favorite food at Christmas. And it's like the one that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. And maybe your aunt Sally makes it and da da da. And maybe aunt Sally's not with us anymore. And so you have to have that because it makes you remember, Mm -hmm. but I want you to actually stop and close your eyes and think about all of the other things that were happening was uncle Larry in the corner with his like ugly slippers that he got every year were, you know, who, which cousins were around? What were the games that you played? What were the banters that, that came back and forth? I want you to think and remember back to every single possible part of that picture, literally like you were telling it in a, like writing it in a book and it was your own book of situations. And so then what we can do inside of that, you can think about it as like a 3d puzzle. And so now I'm just picking up the food out of the 3d puzzle and I'm left with the entire rest of the memory that I can then bask in and think about. And it brings back all of those wonderful emotions that go with it. But now we've taken the food element out of it. What I love about everything that you're saying is it, it sounds so simple saying it, but I've never, I've never thought of it that way. And I'm sure a lot of people don't think of it that way, but it gives the person so much more control in that moment and not having to adhere to a strict diet or this is what I should or should not do. It really takes that, that mental and emotional aspect and connects it with the physical. So that's, that's fantastic. After they recognize that the food portion has been removed from the memory, would you say in more cases than not, then that craving kind of disappears? Eventually it will. Got it. You, you can't expect that the craving is going to go away the first time you try this, right? And again, that's the imperfect action part, right? Because we're creating awareness And some days we're going to be better at getting aware. And some days we're going to be better able at being aware of that inner dialogue. And sometimes we're going to be able to turn that inner dialogue off. And then some days we're not going to be able to. And the point then becomes, it's just about putting in the reps. It's just about continuing to take the steps. You can't get to the end of the street without taking all the steps to get there. You can't, even in a car, like you have to, the wheels have to turn so ever many times for you to get there. Okay. And so even inside of those situations, 
every single time you become aware that you're demonizing a food or you're starting to like, oh God, I ate too much. Maybe I need to, you know, do whatever it is that you do. Then you can catch yourself. You'd be like, no, it's okay. Everything's fine. I chose to do that because I wanted that experience or whatever. And then you can kind of start to bring in other ways where you can redirect yourself. And so, you know, the very first time you try to do that and pull the food out of the scenario and just remember all of the other amazing things, maybe it goes well that time. And then maybe the next time it does not go so well. (laughs) That's okay. That doesn't mean that you just quit because, well, I did it that one time and it worked, but then the next time I did it and it didn't work. So it doesn't work. I think the easiest way for everybody to visualize this is that you have to remember what it was like to be one year old and learning how to walk. The very first time you stood up and took a step, you probably took one step and then fall on your butt. Mm -hmm. But guess what babies don't know? Fear. Guess what else babies don't know? Failure. Those are learned things. So why do you think babies keep getting up and keep trying to take steps? Because they don't, it doesn't hurt them. If they're just falling on their hiney, guess why diapers are so plush in the back? (laughs) Right? And so you get to keep getting up. And that's the beauty of this entire thing. That's the beauty of going on a health journey. That's a be- the beauty of going on a, a self-exploration or a self-development journey. That's the beauty of growing and changing as a woman and stepping into your power is that you're gonna fall on your face. You will. You absolutely will. And you may make 10 steps before you do that. You may make a half a step before you do that. But the point is you keep getting back up. Sure, you know, I ate a whole pizza last night, but I wasn't out of control when I did it. And so by doing that, I have strategies in place now where I don't have to not eat at all in the morning in order to be able to enjoy that. I just change around the, the overall balance of my day so that I can enjoy that. And I no longer have those diet culture stories playing a role in the back of my head or that wasn't okay, or that was bad or that, you know, whatever. And so it, it's just about continuing to put in the reps. And so just allow yourself to be able to learn and grow into it and know that perfection doesn't exist. And then one day you're going to wake up and those stories are no longer going to be playing a role. And that's when it's really kind of profound. And you're like, Whoa, I made it through a week and I didn't restrict myself or I didn't you know, do this or over this. And I didn't cry in front of my closet because my clothes didn't fit and those kinds of things. I think this topic is so important, especially for women, because it is such a personal thing, but I feel, I don't know the statistic. You might know it better than me, but I feel like a majority of women, this is something they deal with at some point in their life. 
And you said earlier that education is such an important component. And I could not agree more because I think more women need to be talking about this to kind of normalize that this is okay and other people go through it. Um, I know we didn't talk about it prior to this, but I did my entire thesis in undergrad on the role the media plays in having women go after an unattainable form of beauty. Um, I actually lost several friends to eating disorders. So this is, this is a topic that is very, very close to my heart. So I appreciate all of the work you are doing from not just the physical part of it, but also the mental and emotional part of it for these women as they start on their, their health journey. If there was someone who was thinking about getting started, they, they want to be healthier, but they have no idea what that, that next step is, what would your advice to them be? Go back to the basics. We are so inundated with information that's geared mostly towards eating and exercising. And it's eat less, exercise more, you'll attain your goal. And number one, that's 100% false. Um, and, and we can kind of go into a little bit about why that is and the health consequences that kind of come from that. But before we deviate off on a tangent, looking at all of the things that make you a holistically put together human being. And that's your sleep. How much sleep are you getting? Is it good quality sleep? Are you doing the things necessary to guard your sleep? Sure, you know, to have an occasional raucous night out with friends where you stay up late and, you know, do all the things, that's awesome. But are you burning the candle at both ends all the time? And are you, you know, waking up late in the morning because you stayed up super late to do some extra work after the house was quiet again? And, um, you know, then you're hitting the snooze button in the morning because you don't want to get up because you're tired because you didn't get enough sleep. And then the next thing you know, you're running out the door late. And so what do you do when you're not late? You don't eat breakfast. You run out the door and you grab something sugary through the Starbucks or the Dunkin' drive through and you go about your day. And then the next thing you know, it's past lunch and you still haven't eaten anything yet. And it's all that like cycle. And so in that day, you've already put everyone else's needs before your own. And so, okay. Let's get back to the basics. How can I start backing my bedtime up so that based on a normal amount of time that I would need to get ready and not feel rushed, that I'm getting somewhere in the seven to nine hour of sleep range, okay? For everyone, that's a little bit different. I can definitely tell for me that I am better at the seven and a half to eight hour range than I am at the seven to seven and a half hour range. And so that's what I strive for. 
and everyone can kind of figure that out on their own because it is kind of individualized. But I can tell you too, there's a lot of research that shows that the sleep that you get prior to midnight is more recuperative, more restful, and more beneficial for your health than the sleep that you get post midnight. Okay. It, it, it comes back to circadian rhythm and the fact that our bodies were biologically set to go to sleep when the sun goes down and wake up when the sun goes up. So if we're staying up till two, three o'clock in the morning and we're trying to sleep until noon, you're going to be fighting against your body and then you're going to get out of whack, which causes a whole host of other things. And so sleep is always where I try to start with people because when you're sleeping well, your body is recovering well. We do everything while we sleep. That's uh, system maintenance, right? Scheduled system maintenance. That's when the used up hormones get filtered out. That's when the programmed cell death happens. And we need proper, good quality programmed cell death to fight free radical damage, to help prevent cancer, to help our, our muscles grow bigger, better, faster, um, and to help recover and, and get all of the toxins from the day out. We, our bodies encounter thousands of toxins every day. And that gets better, same, or worse, depending on the personal care products you use and the environment in which you work, et cetera, et cetera. But when we're sleeping, that's when our liver and our, our lymphatic system are detoxifying all of that. And so if we're not sleeping, then none of those things are happening. And by default, we are, we function less cognitively. We have less energy. We are more prone to depression and anxiety and our stress levels automatic, like baseline stress level then comes up to like a three. So then if you are living inside of a stressful environment anyway, let's say you work inside of a stressful job, you have multiple kids, you also are trying to, let's say, lose weight or something like that. Um, maybe your relationship isn't the greatest right the second. Now we've got a baseline stress level of like an eight, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's on a great day. And that doesn't do anybody's health any good. And so focusing on backing up sleep time and getting yourself inside of that seven to nine hour range is a great place to start, you know, and then there are higher level techniques. Like, can you make sure that you're wearing blue blocker glasses to make sure that you're not exposed to blue light? Do you have the blue light settings put on your device um, or even your computer so that if you absolutely have to work past sundown that you aren't hyper stimulating your brain and making your sleep less effective that way. You know, are you making sure that you're eating 90 to two, 90 minutes to two hours before you go to sleep so that your food actually has proper time to digest before you go to sleep? Because if you're trying to digest food and recover at the same time, you're going to be playing a tug of war between which one gets prioritized. And so neither are happening in the most optimal way. Okay. That's the first thing that I typically do with people. The second thing I typically do with people is get their hydration in check. Like, are you legitimately on an IV drip of coffee to make it through every single day? Um, and you're not drinking any water 
my sister is a huge example. I don't know when the last time I saw her drink water was. I think she's been living straight off of Diet Coke for the last 30 years. Yeah, it's bad. And you know your family is like the least likely to listen to you. So <laughs> I've stopped even trying. Hydration is, is huge. Our bodies are made up of mostly water. Our brain is made up of mostly water. So if we're not taking in enough water we're not digesting our food properly, which means that even if we're eating super duper duper clean, right? That's another word I don't really like. I mean, it's a thing, but it's not as much of a thing as people make it out to be in some instances. But if we're not breaking, if we're, let's say we're eating really well, but if we're not breaking that food down, then our body's not able to take advantage of it fully. Mm -hmm. And let's say you're in an exercise setting. If you're not drinking enough, your exercise performance is going to go down. If you're not drinking enough water, your cognitive function goes down. So you're less likely to be able to pay full attention in that super important meeting you have coming up, or you're, you're going to end up dropping the ball on something inside of the project whose deadline just got moved up by two weeks, you know? Not to mention the fact that, you know, if you're performing surgery on someone and you're sleep deprived and dehydrated, like that's how things get left inside people. <laughs> and then lawsuits happen, you know, like there are several careers in our society that don't lend themselves to people having quality, healthy lifestyles, but that's probably a whole different subject. Um, and those are the people that I work with the most get their balance back. But, um, it really just goes back to sleep, hydration, stress management and stress management for me is, is different. I'm a stress specialist now. And, you know, in the media, we're told to eliminate stress. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, okay. Where do I get signed up for that? Because it's, it doesn't exist. Stress is, and we're, we're, our lives are only getting faster. Okay. Like mm -hmm. it, the next time somebody tells me to eliminate stress and be like, okay, teleport me back to 1930 <laughs> when technology didn't exist. Right. When people, when you had to slow down, like sure you had lamps, but they only went so far and people couldn't bother me at all hours of the day and things like that. And digital learning didn't exist and neither did COVID. Oh my God. And so it comes down to stress management doesn't mean eliminating your stresses. It means thinking about them differently. Mm. I know it's a novel thing and it's one, it's another one of those things where nobody talks about it. No, there are a lot of people that are starting to but it's just, it's kind of like gut health. Like we've been studying it forever, but we're just now figuring it out. Stress can be as negative to our health as we think it is. So if we're like, oh my God, I'm stressed out, I'm dying. Oh my God, I'm stressed out, I'm dying. Then chances are you'll actually die earlier. But if you're thinking about stress in like, oh, this is a fun new challenge. What can I, how can I have this help me grow? What can I learn from this situation that will help me navigate a situation similar to this later and have it go well? Or you get on the other side of a stressful situation and you're like, okay, how can I do that differently next time so that it doesn't feel like it's 
weighing me down or that I just got an anvil dropped on my head kind of a thing. We can harness those feelings that we get, right? You, you, you've experienced a, like an acute stress response before, right? Where you get like your heart starts racing and your breath kind of catches and you're like hyper aware and you're like, maybe you start tingling and shaking everywhere and stuff, or maybe you get a little nauseated. You'll see people outside of job interviews and they'll be like hyperventilating because they're trying to actually slow their breathing down to like take the stress away so that they don't bomb the interview. What that's actually doing is stressing them out more. Oh no. And so instead it's like, oh, I'm shaking a little bit. My, my heart is like fluttering a little bit. Okay, cool. This is like, my heart is fluttering a little bit. So I'm getting like more blood ever. I'm getting more blood to my brain. So I'm going to be better able to answer their questions when we get there or okay. My, my heart, like I'm breathing faster. Great. That just means I'm getting more oxygen everywhere. So I'm going to be able to tackle this thing. Let's say it's not a job interview. It's something else better or okay. Like I have all of this energy now, what can I do with it? How can I, how can I use it? What, what creative ideas can I come up with inside of this to push me forward? And so then it becomes something that you get. And it's like, you're being, um, it's like you're being energized, like you're in Sonic the Hedgehog and you've gotten a bunch of those coins or you just got the little like mushroom and you grew like in the original Super Mario Brothers, that kind of thing, right? Where you can use it to your advantage versus seeing it as a detriment. There's two different ways that you can perceive stress. You can perceive it as a challenge mentality or a threat mentality. And when you're seeing it as a threat mentality, you're that guy like hyperventilating outside of the job interview. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you'll probably bomb it just because you didn't, you were like seeing it as a threat. And so the interview itself was like the saber toothed tiger that was about to come and attack you versus saying like, Ooh, cool. I can like fight off the saber toothed tiger and everything's going to be awesome that kind of thing. And so stress management is a huge thing about it, but it's important to know that it's not getting rid of your stress. It's actually thinking differently about your stress. What I love about everything that you are saying is it's not a quick fix. It's not a pill. It's not a magic shake. It's not X, Y, Z. So much of it comes back to our mindset and how we view these these things, our, our health journey and how it can help us for the better, or it can help us for the not so better and really yeah. shifting our thoughts and the difference it can make in our overall health. 100%. It's, it's absolutely true. Our physical health on the outside is a direct representation of what's happening on the inside. But the caveat to that is that it's like an iceberg. Like what you see on the outside, it is 10%. And what's happening on the inside is the other 90%. You know, if our, if our gut health is out of whack, then our confidence is going to take a hit because 
if we're inflamed and we're eating a lot of really processed food, we're not getting enough fiber, then our gut is going to be really, really, really inflamed. You can think about it like lower level IBS. Mm -hmm. And when we have our you've heard a lot of people say, and a lot of your listeners probably have too, that our gut is our second brain. Our gut is actually the driver of our entire health, mm-hmm. hands down, 100%. It's not just that it's our second brain, it's it's everything. Um, the majority of our immune system lives in our gut. Our brain neurochemicals live in the gut and they're converted in the gut. Our hormones are converted in our gut. Um, Our pituitary gland sends messages for hormones to happen, but the conversion of those hormones to be able to have them be used all happens in our gut. And so if we're not getting good neurotransmitter conversion, then we are going to be more likely to be less confident because we're going to suffer from anxiety and depression. It's literally going to feel like to be able to have confidence, I'm, I'm walking wearing cement shoes. And so if we're getting in, that would be like the next back to basics thing that I would say is just start to clean up a little bit of your food quality, like making sure that you're getting a variety of food sources, that we're not just only eating chicken or we're not just only eating like Beef and chicken have almost identical cholesterol profiles. So whatever doofus decided to say that like chicken was the better way to go was lying to the entire world because it doesn't have less cholesterol than red meat. So for all of you listening who haven't eaten red meat in like six months because you think it's quote unquote bad, it's not. Go have a burger, go have a steak, do something because it's got the same amount of cholesterol. It's not any worse or better for you. It just looks different. It has a different anti-protein profile, amino acid profile, and a different fatty acid profile, but they're equally good for you. It's so getting a variety of different foods from quality sources are going to help you lower your inflammation levels and then your gut's functioning better. You're getting more fiber and you're getting more fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. And so you're getting more good quality food. Our, our neurochemicals are doing what they should. Our hormones are doing what they should. And that's coming outwards in our confidence. That's coming outwards in our mindset. That's coming outwards in our our physical abilities, our natural energy levels, the efficacy of our sleep, all of those things. And why do you think it is especially important for women to take care of themselves? So, 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 so many reasons. Um, Number one, from birth, it's extremely important because the perceptions that we grow up with, like as our personalities develop and as, like like I said earlier, babies don't have fear and babies don't have... um, They don't have body composition issues, right? These are all learned things. And so it's how we speak to the females that changes those perceptions, okay? And like, and in the South, we're super bad about this. Oh, hey, pretty girl. Hey, pretty girl. And so it always comes back. Like, you don't hear great granny coming up to somebody and being like, hey, smart girl. Like, it doesn't happen. And so... Finding different ways to praise effort instead of outcome. Finding different ways to um, to speak to women, especially. I don't believe in taking away body composition talks altogether, 
because if they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear it from their friends because it's still highly profound inside of friend groups and mean girl and all of that nonsense. And it's, it comes from a place more of just banishing negativity and teaching women to go back to understanding their bodies. Children are very amazing at knowing when they're hungry and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Like when a kid is telling you that they're full, they're probably not lying. But are we like forcing them to clean their plate? Because guess what? That's diet culture rhetoric. And guess where it comes from? It comes from being back in the depression and great grandma having to clean her plate because the spam was the only darn thing that they had. And if you didn't eat it, you were going hungry. There you go. They didn't live in the world of Uber Eats. And going into the kitchen and literally seeing a pantry full of stuff. And so it was, okay, that generation bred a generation of like over consumers because they lost the ability to discern when they were full because they had to clean their plate. And so now you get into Longhorn with the 48 ounce T-bone and the giant you know, baked potato and all of this kind of stuff. And then they give you the bread first and you came from a background of having to clean your darn plate. So then what do you do? You eat the whole 48 ounces of steak, regardless of whether you're hungry. And then you get home and you want to throw up because you're so overly full. Cause we've lost that mind body connection. Like I want everyone to ask themselves when the last time they actually experienced tummy rumbling hunger because tummy rumbling hunger is different from cravings and like what does satiated feel like those are two really really great intuitive eating cues that you can use to really start to bring awareness around your overall intake of food like am I actually hungry, right? Or am I experiencing a craving or like needing to sedate from something? And what does, because we all know what overly full feels like. Everybody knows what overly full feels like. But how many of your listeners know what satiated feels like? What does satiated feel like? Exactly. (laughs) Like, my tummy rumbling hunger is gone, but I also don't feel the need to unbutton my pants. <laughs> it's all about the balance. <laughs> it is. And that's, that's another one of those things where some days it's going to be easy and some days it's not going to be. And I can tell you too, that there's probably a lot of your females that are listening to this that can't tell you when the last time they actually were hungry. And, and that's another reason why we need to be really, really diligent about guarding our health is because women are very highly susceptible to hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And I blame diet culture for the prevalence of hypothyroidism in our world, because you don't just wake up with hypothyroidism one day. Your metabolism is an ever-changing, ever-breathing thermostat. And metabolism is everything. 
everything. It is not just you have a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism in terms of like how you process your food. Your metabolism is your ability to regulate your body temperature. Your metabolism is how fast your hair grows. Your metabolism is like how sore you feel after a workout. Your metabolism is how you feel during your workout. Your metabolism is it, the amount of time it takes you to digest your food and have it move through your gastrointestinal tract and your digestive processes and how often you're going to the bathroom and all of those things. Metabolism is literally every single process that keeps you alive. It is not just your ability to gain and lose weight, but when your metabolism has had to shut itself down in order to keep you alive, that's when hypothyroidism comes about. Hmm. For a lot of people. For me, personally, it manifested in adrenal dysfunction, but our adrenals are part of that same system. Right. And so I didn't become hypothyroid. I just, my adrenals crapped the bed. And so for a long time, I had zero ability to, to properly manage stress. And like even very, very, very small instances of stress that wouldn't phase some people were almost catastrophic for me. But hypothyroidism is forever too. And so when we get caught up in that, that diet culture stuff and we restrict and restrict and restrict and restrict, and then the next thing we know, we're only eating 800 calories a day. There are a lot of health processes that shut down in order to prioritize heart, lung, kidney, and brain function to keep you alive. And hormones are the first thing that get turned off. And if our hormones aren't functioning properly, then it's going to be harder for us to get pregnant when we want to get pregnant. And then guess what happens? If we can't get pregnant when we want to get pregnant, then that's an added stress because then we start stressing about whether or not we're pregnant. Right. And so now we have, I'm not fueling my body properly. And I haven't been for years because I've been trying to be help, be like, you know, some, some mainstream version of what healthy is. And I've turned all of these things down that should be functioning optimally. And now they're not functioning optimally. So then I'm having to go to doctors and get pills and other things aren't working. And it's a very, very large cascade. And I mean, we could go, we could do seven episodes just about like the potential health ramifications of when we don't make our health a priority. And those are just the easy ones. You know, our, our hormonal health and our adrenal health and our blood sugar regulation are probably the main three. Um, and it comes into stress resilience and it comes into, you know, our, our ability to just thrive as human beings. And so, you know, if you are in a state of life where these things have been present for you, then guess what? Like, now's the time where you get to, to start a new journey and you can change all of that and you can, um, optimize things. If you're still living and breathing and listening to this episode, then you're not broken. No one breaks themselves. I mean, you can break a bone. Sure. You don't break yourself. When you break yourself, you're dead. And so there's only up 
where you can go from here. There's only optimization that you can get to from here. And so that becomes another way that you can create awareness and, and take the first step. And so for us to be mindful of, of our health, it, it, it's, it comes back to that iceberg. If we are mindful of those baseline healthy habits, then we can start to optimize the internal 90% of our iceberg. And if the 90% of our iceberg is functioning well, then by default, it trickles out and we become healthier human beings from what we can see and what we see in the mirror and whatever number it says on the scale. And you will see when you start to optimize those things, you can feel yourself thriving from the inside out. You wake up easily without an alarm or when the alarm goes off, you're like, oh yay, cool, it's morning, awesome, let's go crush life. And you're feeling naturally energetic and you don't need an IV drip of caffeine to be able to make it through the day. And you make healthier choices for breakfast because you know you need to fuel yourself if you want good cognitive function during the day and you wanna go out and crush life and have fun. You know, there's so many moms, especially that like, you know, they're feeding themselves nothing but their kids leftover goldfish crackers because they're like running around after the kids all the time and they're not prioritizing themselves. When, when it comes to, to female health, I want you to think of the flight attendant on the last flight you took going through the safety spiel at the beginning, right? What do they tell you to do? Put your own mask on before helping the person next to you. <laughs> yes, 100%. Put your mask on first. You have to put your mask on first. You cannot give from an empty cup. And you putting your mask on first is you putting your health in play first. Yes, this podcast is for women, but men do the same junk. I was actually getting onto a client earlier today because he didn't eat all day. He ate a half a banana for breakfast and then didn't eat again. And that was at 6 a.m. And then he didn't eat again until 5.30 this afternoon. That's, you can't drive to California on one tank of gas, people. Dana, we are almost out of time, but you're <laughs> like, you're information. I'm just like, I have so many awesome notes written down. I think I will definitely have to have you back for a whole episode on stress management and health ramifications. This is just fantastic. If someone wants to reach out to you or get in contact with you or learn more about you and what you do, how would they do that? Um, the easiest places are via social media, actually. Um, my business page on Facebook is Constantly Very Nutrition. Um, I am on Instagram as um, at Dana L. Black. Um, and yeah, come on over to, I have a free group on Facebook. It's, um, the harness your stress and balance your life group on Facebook. We have lots of fun. I think you're in that group now too, are you? Yes. <laughs> yes. We have so much fun in that group. Um, come on over. There's tons of free information and like recipes and we do weekly challenges on fun stuff that just kind of like help you take your health to the next level. Yeah. Those are the, those are the fastest places actually. And I will include the links to the Facebook group and your social media accounts in the show notes. And then oh, the yeah. final question, when do you feel the most confident? Oh gosh. Um, that's easy to say right now. Cause I just did all the earthing that I possibly could for the last four days at the beach. But, um, 
I feel the most confident when I am really, really, really guarding all of my habits closely um, because of the health challenges that I've had over the last few years. Um, I've been forced to slow way down, which I needed. I mean, I got the kick in the pants that I needed to really make a change for the better. Um, and so I guard my sleep. Um, because if I don't sleep, then I'm just useless and sleep is my mask. Um, and I put that on every day. Um, but it, for me, it's when I am really just making sure that I'm on point and that I'm not allowing my hustle um, to get away from me because I will. I, I think you and I are very similar in the fact that we really want to do good for people and we really want to have a positive impact in this world. And when you are that passionate about something, it's very easy to just like steamroll straight ahead and, and just be like, well, I'll figure it out later. Um, build the plane while we fly it is one of my favorite um, little quips for that. But I do feel the best and it's, it, it comes pretty quickly as a reminder to me to realign when I get slightly off kilter because I will feel it very quickly. My energy levels will drop. I don't feel as good. My fuse gets a little bit shorter. Um, and you know, if I catch myself yawning at four o'clock in the afternoon, then something needs to get reoptimized. And so that's kind of usually my, um, health meter I guess, that I check for is that, like, am I having sustained, um, you know, we were joking before you hit record about the fact that I drank coffee this morning, and um, that's very rare for me. Um, just from a health perspective, it's safer for me to be off of it than on it, um, but every once in a while, I like to indulge, and so I indulged, and I will be mindful and aware over this week as to whether I see that affecting my sleep patterns and kind of my personal caffeine um, half-life is a lot longer than some people's. <laughs> and so it will affect my ability to be able to go to sleep at night. And so then I'll just by default work later, which is not a healthy thing either. And so I'll be on the lookout for that so that I don't allow it to become a negative pattern and throw me off. And so it's easy for me now to do that, but that's been three years in the making since, since my own kind of health downturn and stuff. And so that's, that's how I create confidence in my life is by, I guard my routines very, very, very closely and I guard my boundaries very, very closely. And that enables me to keep showing up in a way that is my best self. Dana, thank you so much. I have a notebook of tidbits that I have jotted down that I've learned. So I hope people who are listening can take one or two action items away from this. And it really is all about balance. So thank you so much again.
You're so welcome. This has been such a joy and such a blessing. So thank you so much for inviting me to be on. And yeah, I truly hope that, that everyone finds one nugget, you know, even if it's just one thing to take with it and just roll. I think that would be awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Graceful Confidence podcast. If you know someone who could benefit from this podcast, please go ahead and share it with them. Encourage them to like and follow this podcast so they know when new episodes are launching. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon.